The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
How to turn victory into defeat. Achan saw that Babylonian robe. He saw the gold. He saw the silver. He said, I have to have it. So he reached out and took it. And he turned victory into defeat. God came bringing victory. Achan came bringing defeat. So tonight I have to ask you a very difficult, painful question. What victory of God have you turned into a defeat? You can answer that question by examining what's under your bed. That was the place Achan hid his treasures. He dug a hole in the ground, then he covered it with his bed. What have you brought into the house of the Lord tonight? What is hidden beneath your resting place? When you lay down at night to sleep and you say to yourself, ah, I can rest. What is it that you're resting on? Are you resting in the arms of Jesus? victorious, safe, secure, or you resting in the arms of a lover? Some of you, I don't know how you can sleep at night. You've got stuffed under your bed so many things. See, this is real for me because when I was a kid, I only had one place that was safe. I had two older brothers. That was under my mattress. Of course, my brothers also thought that they were safe under their mattresses. So when they weren't around, I'd get under their mattress to see what they had hidden. (laughs) And one night I went in and pulled up my brother's mattress to see what he had under that mattress. And he had a big scout knife. Now I have a great and inordinate love for pocket knives. My grandpa was a carpenter. He loved to carve and whittle. And I have a great love of pocket knives. I received my first pocket knife from my grandpa when I was probably four or five years old, with a stern warning not to whittle on the doorpost. I saw this wonderful scout knife, and my heart lusted for it. And I said, how can I get that knife away from my brother? I knew my brother had stolen it. That's the only way he could have gotten it. So into my heart comes this wickedness. Steal it from him. So I slipped that knife out from under his mattress. Now I have to figure out how to keep it without getting beat up. That took some thinking. I finally arrived at a plan. I would arrange a number of things that I had recently found. And I would call my father and I would say, Daddy, look what I found. Knowing my brothers would come and look also. And with dad there, he couldn't beat me up. And the transition would be made. So immediately, that's what happened. I called my dad. My dad looked at what I found. He said, Raymond, where did you find this? 
So I just found it, and he picked up the scout knife. He said, Raymond, you can't have this scout knife. My brother is leering at me. Daddy takes the knife, and he sharpens it. My father was a very professional knife sharpener. He would not consider a knife sharp if you could hold a hair and hit that hair with a blade. And if it didn't cut, it wasn't a sharp knife. So he sharpened it up. And then I watched as he put it up in his bedroom. Now, I knew it was not to be touched. A much worse than a beating would happen. But needless to say, a short time after that, feeling justified that it was my knife and not my dad's and that he had unjustly taken it from me, I needed to cut a piece of cardboard. Of course, there were other knives. I had my other pocket knives. There were scissors. There were many ways to cut this piece of cardboard, but only my knife, my scout knife would suffice. And so I stole my knife back from my father, my brother's knife (laughs) that I'd stolen from my brother that we had not yet had a conversation about. Took the knife down and I now was in a hurry because I was feeling a little bit of guilt. And so I sat on the edge of the bed and I put the piece of cardboard and I began to cut down through that cardboard. And of course, the knife went right through that cardboard like butter right into my leg, cutting a gash probably four inches across down into the muscle. And of course, I ran to the bathroom limping as I went. I'd wipe the knife quickly and put it away so dad wouldn't find out blood dripping on the floor behind me. I went to the bathroom and I used a whole can of Band-Aids fastening that leg together. But they wouldn't stick because it was all wet. So I hobbled into my brother, Don. I said, Don, if I tell you something, will you keep it a secret? Oh, yes, Ray. Look at my leg. He took one look at my leg and began to yell, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. (laughs) And my dad came quickly. He saw the blood running. He said, oh, it's nothing, Ray, just here. Let's put a towel on it. Hold the towel. It'll be fine. Mother came in and said, what's going on? Well, Ray just cut his leg a little. She said, let me see it. So she lifted it off. She took one look. She said, get the car. We're taking him to the emergency room. He needs stitches. No, he doesn't. It's just a little cut. No, we're taking him. And they put me in the car and drove me to the emergency room and put 16 stitches in my leg. On the way home, Dad and I had that talk. He said, Raymond, I'm not going to spank you when we get home. You've been punished enough, but return the knife to your brother, Don, and then I'll take it from Don. I've thought back on that so many times, and every time I get a shower, I see that scar running across my leg. I wish this story could end there, but it doesn't. I was a part of 4-H. My mother said, Raymond, you can't go to 4-H tonight because we just got the stitches out on your leg today. And if I let you go to 4-H, you're going to play dodgeball, and a ball's going to hit it, and it's going to break your your leg open. And then you have to have it restitched. I said, Mom, I promise I will not play dodgeball. I have to go. They're expecting me to go. I'm part of the team. I have to go. Okay, Raymond, promise you will not play dodgeball. I will not play dodgeball. And of course, they all said, come on, Ray, we've got to have you. I said, okay, I'll play. I'll just be careful. First ball thrown. Hit me right on that wound. Broke it open. And you can believe I never told my mom. So I've got a real nice wide scar. That scar is a constant reminder to me 
of my sin. I wear my sin on my leg. I wear my stealing. I wear my lying. I wear my disobedience. I turn victory into defeat. Now you listen to that simple story and you say, good story. I want to know your story. What's hidden under your bed? What have you stolen? Some of you have stolen the refrigerator and put it under your bed. Some of you have stolen bitter feelings and put it under your bed. Some of you have got your bed jammed full underneath with grudges. And you wear your scars. You can't see them, but others see them. Some of you have jammed under your bed the absolute determination that you are going to be your own person, no matter what. Some of you have jammed success under your bed. You're going to provide for your family if it kills you. You'll go in debt. You'll do anything you have to do to make sure you take care of your family and you wear the scars. What are you sleeping on tonight? Kids, have you lied to mom or dad? Have you said things and done things? Do you have things? Do you have CDs that you know mom and dad don't want you to have? Are you playing around at school in ways you know mom and dad don't want you to? Are you saying things and doing things that you know mom and dad don't want you to do? And adults, what have you stolen at work? What have you done? If God came tonight into this house, would he give you victory or would he judge you with defeat? Would his mercy overflow or would his judgment overflow on your life? How would you stand before him tonight? If tonight the end of the world has come upon us, how do you stand before an almighty judge? Are you an Achan, one of God's people, one who has successfully gone through the wilderness? You've survived, you've hung in there, but you've turned to your sin and count and found comfort in what you've stolen. How do you stand before God tonight? What thoughts are you playing with in your mind that bring defeat to you? What's hidden under your bed? Now, I've got news for you. Every Aiken bed will be uncovered. Oh, it's not tonight, maybe, but it will be uncovered. Every Aiken thought will be uncovered. And God will judge. How will he judge you? Have you even brought something tonight into the house of the Lord that is an Aiken sin? If I were to come to each one of you and ask you, how's your heart tonight with Jesus? How would you answer? Would you say, faith and victory, joy, overcomer? Or would you say, I've turned victory into defeat? I want to be very clear with you tonight about what my purpose is. My purpose is to call people to the obedience that comes from faith. That's my purpose. My purpose is to call you to the obedience that comes by faith. Of course, you recall as I say that, that that's also what the Apostle Paul said his purpose was. As he begins the great book of Romans, that treaty on justification by faith, he says at the very beginning that his purpose in Romans, the first chapter, verse five, through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Now, let's be clear. There is what is called in scripture, good news. The word gospel means good news, right? Well, good news, if I come to tell you about it, means that the good news is already a historical happening. If I'm telling you about good news in the future, it's really not good news because it hasn't happened yet. It's something we hope will happen, 
but it's not here yet, so it's really not good news because it's future. Good news always means it's happened in the past. Something happened in the past that brings good news to our hearts. And the good news that we bring is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin. And that's usually where we leave the good news. But that's really not all the good news. The good news is that a righteousness was revealed in the past that can now be my righteousness. That I don't have to go from victory at the cross in Jesus where he finished the work to defeat. I can go from victory to victory to victory. I don't have to go out of this place of victory in the past, the cross of Jesus Christ, and then walk into defeat. How does that happen? There are some who would tell us, well, it happens this way. Jesus covers you with his robe. And now when God the Father looks at you, he really just sees Jesus. And so you're going to have to live all the rest of your life in your sin. But don't worry about living in your sin because God knew what your heart was and you've been born again and and now you're covered. So you're going to live in your sin. You're never going to accomplish victory over sin, but the father won't judge you because he just sees Jesus. That lie is not good news to me. Don't tell me that God plays a shell game with me. I want a gospel. I want a good news that takes me to the foot of the cross where I confess and repent to a place where I'm healed and I'm victorious and I walk without defeat in my life before Satan. I don't want to hear a good news statement about slipping and sliding. And I don't want to hear a good news that says, look, you can never overcome your sin and and you're always going to be this way. I don't want to be this way all the rest of my life. I want to be a, I want to be a victorious Christian who walks through life with confidence in the blood of Jesus Christ, not defeated by the devil. The word of God says, if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. But the modern teaching of the cross is the devil doesn't have to flee from you. He, he, he's defeated because Jesus defeated him, but, but you're never going to defeat him. Well, that's not good news to me. That's bad news. I want good news. I need good news in my heart. I need to know that I'm going to walk in victory to victory to victory. Let me describe something for you. In my prayer closet, my wife was so kind as to choose this wonderful chair for me to sit down in. And then she got an ottoman for my feet. I said, honey, I don't need an ottoman. Yes, you do. You need to sit and be comfortable in the presence of the Lord when you're just waiting on him. Okay, if you say so, let's have the ottoman. I mean, some things I just know I say yes And she does what she believes she needs to do. And I say, thank you. So in my prayer closet, I've got this chair and I've got this wonderful ottoman for my feet. And so I'll go into my prayer room. I'll stumble over the ottoman and I'll finally straddle it. So I'm sitting in the chair. My legs are straddling this ottoman. And and on the ottoman, I have the last three books I've been studying. I've got my Bible. I've got all kinds of things piled on it. And my precious wife will come in and she'll see me. And without a word, she'll just start picking up everything off that ottoman. And then she'll pick my feet up and put them up on the ottoman. And she'll say to me, now, doesn't that feel better? 
there's something in my psyche that says I can't be comfortable. You can't be comfortable, Ray. You have to be uncomfortable. You can never just rest in the presence of God. You've got to be uncomfortable in the presence of God. I sit there and I'm, my, my legs are stretched out and all the things are on the floor or back in the bookcase. And I'm sitting there with my Bible and I'm saying to the Lord, Lord, this feels so good. Thank you, Jesus. See, somehow I was taught that if the medicine doesn't taste bad, it doesn't do any good. I mean, that's why I got cod liver oil given to me as a child, because it tasted so bad. Tasted so bad, it was good for you. No pain, no gain. So this philosophy of life I've carried with me so that when I begin to feel the grace of God, I begin to feel the comfort of the spirit. I've got to start a fight. There's got to be a problem. I've got to make myself uncomfortable. Now, now, please listen. I'll go into the presence of God and I'll confess my sin. And suddenly the peace of God will come upon me. And I can't find anything to be concerned about. And I'll say, this can't be true. This feels too good. I can't feel this good. There's got to be a problem. I mean, this mentality that says I always have to walk in defeat. I have to be chastising myself. I have to be discouraged. I have to be fighting. I have to be. The Lord God of heaven says, I have good news for you. I, I died on the cross for you. And now I want you to walk victory to victory to victory to victory, not giving way to your lust, not giving way to your passion, not giving way to your discouragement, not giving way to sin. He wants me to be victorious. He wants me to be clean before him. He doesn't want me to walk in agony of heart and sin before him. But you see, it almost feels to me like if I'm not struggling with a sin, there's something wrong. I mean, I am more comfortable when I'm uncomfortable. You say that again. I'm more comfortable when I'm uncomfortable. And the Lord doesn't want me to walk that way anymore. He wants me to walk in the comfort of the spirit. He wants me to walk in confidence under the blood. He wants me to understand what his wrath is. And he wants me to allow the blood of Jesus Christ to turn that wrath away from my life. It's not the heart of God to have his wrath upon me. As a child, I'd, I'd see something. And if I had to, I'd take it to get it. And then I'd lie about it. And then I'd get punished for it. And oh, I could have a miserable time. The Lord doesn't want me to walk that way. And he doesn't want you to walk that way. He's called us to walk under his blood, and he's promised to give us victory over our sin. Verse 16, Romans 1, 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power, the dynamite of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. It does not say the make-believe righteous will live by faith. It doesn't say the covered-up unbeliever will walk under the illusion of righteousness. It says you will walk in righteousness. Righteousness is just a big fancy term for right behavior. Living holy. Walking the way God called you to walk. 
verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. In other words, we can suppress God's truth by our wicked choices, by hiding things under our beds. What did Achan suppress? Achan suppressed the victory of Israel. And he caused the death of 36 men. How did he do that? By giving in to his sinful passion and lust. Stealing, lying, cheating. And the result was he brought wrath of God upon his life. Now, if we're, if we're wired to be more comfortable when we're uncomfortable, then we're going to make choices that brings God, God's wrath upon us. And we're going to go from decision to decision, to decision, and each one will increase the wrath of God upon us and upon our family. Or we can choose to go from decision to decision to decision in obedience to the holy God of heaven, and his wrath will be turned aside and we'll walk in victory. But this takes a great deal of self-consciousness, self-awareness, because I don't know about you, but when sin comes at me, It doesn't come through my mind, my rational process. It comes at me as a visceral thing. It comes at me as a, as a lion attacking me and I respond to it. I don't even have time to think about it. I just do it. Why'd I do it? I don't know. I just, I couldn't help it. Well, that's not true. I could help it. All I had to do was cry out to Jesus, say, Jesus. I'm going to walk in defeat here. I want to walk in victory here. Now, God has called this congregation to very specific places of abiding. As soon as you begin to step out of those places of abiding, as you refuse to do what God has asked you to do, this sin that's crouching at the door is going to sweep into your life, and it'll take you. And these sins are all connected by a spider web connection. You jerk up the eating That's going to pull up another sin. That'll pull up another sin. That'll pull up another sin. They're all connected one to another. And we've got emotion connected each of them. And we've been down these roads so many times. It feels comfortable being so beat up. It feels comfortable being so uncomfortable. Jan and I were laughingly today talking with each other and saying, let's just name all the lies that Satan's been giving us. You can never succeed. The National Prayer Chapel's never going to grow. You're never going to be on Weva. You might as well just give up. Satan comes and says that to me all the time. And when that doesn't start to penetrate and get at my heart, he'll start saying, you're such a sinner, God could never use you. You're unworthy to preach the gospel. Look at the mistakes you've made in your life. What makes you think you'll ever change? The past predicts the future. I mean, he begins to tell me all kinds of things. What's my answer? Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's my answer. Jesus. I don't have any neat defense. I just have Jesus. And I cry, Jesus. And he's gone. I know what his promises are to me. I know what his promises are to us. I know his ways. I know what he expects of me. Will I allow faith to rise up in my heart and order my steps? Or will I choose to defeat my victory? The victory is mine. The victory's already been given to me. 
The victory's already been given to the National Prayer Chapel. Do you have any understanding of the kind of struggle I'd be in tonight standing by faith for radio if God had not told us to ask him for $100,000? I mean, through this long, dry period, if we had had no financial gift from the Lord to put in the bank, and tonight the radio money's sitting in the bank, I can say, Lord, it's there. You put it there. Every month it grows. I mean, we're not making a radio payment, right? So the radio payment goes in the bank for the radio. We're still paying for the radio. And it's accumulating. Why? Because we trust what Jesus has said to us. We're waiting on him. He's faithful. I don't intend for us. I don't intend for this congregation to go from victory to defeat. I want to go from Victory to victory to victory against the enemy in my personal life and in your personal life and in the life of this fellowship. I want Satan to defeat you. I can tell sometimes when some of you call me on the telephone, I can tell by the sound of your voice whether you're walking in defeat or victory. And often when I hear your voice and you're walking in defeat, the Lord won't even let me call you back. He just tells me I'm dealing with him. This is this is my woodshed. Because I know if I call you, I'm going to have to send you to the woodshed. Because God is not willing to accept that feeling sorry for yourself. He's saying, no, it's not going to happen. You've been called to walk in victory, not defeat. Now, the wrath of God is being revealed. And I urge you to carefully read through this first chapter of the book of Romans. It describes how the defeat takes place. Step by step, refusing to thank God, refusing to honor him as God, choosing to worship things that you've made with your hands. In other words, worship your job, worship your house, worship things made by hands, and defeat comes. And then he begins a discussion that I... I can't tell you in all the times I've read the book of Romans, how many years I just automatically skipped the second chapter of the book of Romans. I don't like it. I don't want to understand it. It makes me angry. But now the Lord has given me such freedom to read the second chapter of the book of Romans. Let's look at it. You, therefore, have no excuse who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such thing is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same thing, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. Verse 11, for God does not show favoritism. 
verse 12, all who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. See, I would read this and I would say, that's just not righteousness by faith. That's legalism. Tear that second chapter out of the book of Romans. It's just not the gospel. How could Paul be saying these things? But listen to what he's saying. He's saying, who's under the law here? Oh, you're under the law? Okay, you're going to be judged by the law. And if you sin against it, you're going to die. Who's not under the law here? Oh, we got some people not under the law. Okay, you sin, you die. God doesn't show favoritism. So you can be under the law or you can walk in freedom. You can walk in grace, so-called. Bonhoeffer calls it cheap grace. You can walk under grace, but if you're sinning, you're going to die. And I would read this and I would fight with it because theologically, I believe I was saved by faith and by by faith alone. And that meant that I could continue in my sin, but I had faith. Jesus had me covered. And the Lord revealed this huge lie to my heart and showed me in the scriptures that a man who thinks he can continue to walk in sin and call himself a Christian is a liar. It's not possible. So if I'm going to walk in victory, there has to be a righteousness from outside of myself that comes into my life as a sovereign act of God. There has to be a regeneration by the Holy Spirit in my life to give me the ability to walk holy before God. I've tried as hard as I can to walk holy. I can't do it. But Jesus Christ living in me quickens my spirit and changes my heart. And now under the anointing power of the Holy Spirit, I walk righteous before God. Look, this whole deal, why are we still here? I struggled with this theologically. I said, oh God, why at the cross didn't you arise from that grave and say, this is it, this is the end. Let's stop this. It's finished. I couldn't understand why God would continue this wickedness on the earth. I do now. God had to show that Adam did not have to sin against God. Adam sinned by his free will choice. But we who were under the law had no free will choice. We were bound under sin. We were filled with wickedness. But when Jesus died on the cross, he gave us his shed blood to break the bondage that Satan had bound around our hearts. He gave us a new heart and a new spirit. And he said, now demonstrate before the universe the power of my blood that you can choose to walk in victory before me. You don't have to walk defeated. You can walk in righteousness now. And so God is preparing a people who will come and walk in righteousness before him, not make believe righteousness, real righteousness, holiness, not by our power, but by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I testify tonight, the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit has worked wonders in my life. Those things that used to totally defeat me now have no power over me. I no longer lust after the television. I no longer lust lust after the sports of the world. I no longer lust after so many of those things of darkness that used to capture my heart and consume my spirit. Now, did I try hard? No, I just looked at Jesus. 
I looked at Jesus. And some of you tonight are caught in bondage and you don't believe you can get free because you've tried as hard as you can and you haven't been able to get free. I'm saying tonight, would you turn your heart to Jesus and would you begin to say to him, it's my will, almighty God, to serve you and you alone. I will not put up with anything else. I will serve you. I will walk before you. That's all I want, Jesus. Now you recognize to do that. There's some things you're going to have to let go of. You have to let go of some things. You're going to have to let go of the whole tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you're going to have to eat now from the tree of life. You know what the tree of life is? His name is Jesus. That's why he said, drink my blood and eat my body. He's the tree of life. You feast on Jesus, not on your vain imaginations. Please fast forward to the end of the tape and turn over for the conclusion of the message. You feast on Jesus, not on your ambitions. You know, I began this last week just to review. But before I did, I just did a quick outline of of things that look impossible to me right now. It looks utterly impossible to me that we should be able to continue living in the house we're in. Now, for nine years, the rent has not been raised. I mean, how long can that go on? The rent for this church facility has increased to $2,500 a month. The radio, I know the Lord is calling us to do a national broadcast. That's going to cost for one year over $2 million. That's utterly impossible. So I just began to review before the Lord all of the things that are utterly impossible. From the housing situation, I see our car is going to need some major repairs I'll be driving down the highway and it'll just suddenly die. Coast over to the edge and start it again. Tires are beginning to wear in the front and I know they're going to have to be replaced this summer. I've just gone through all these utterly impossible things. And and frankly, I don't see any way we're going to get through this thing alive. And then I went back. The word the Lord spoke to us was, if you will go to Woodbridge, you will not sink. And I I went back to one night we were staying in room 911 of the Days Inn. We had enough money for that night and no, and no other money. And that was a Tuesday night. The fellowship wouldn't meet until Thursday. So there was no possibility of anyone in the fellowship helping us. And none of them knew about the problem anyway, because God wouldn't let us talk about our problems. He said, just come to me and pray and don't bother them. So I knew the fellowship could not help us. We were out of money. We had enough money to buy one more meal. We'd been living on graham crackers and milk from the breakfast at the hotel. It was tight. The license plates were expired on the car. The windshield was cracked and we had to have a new windshield put in before we could pass it to inspection. And there were several other things wrong with the car. It had to have new brakes, had to have new rotors. I knew we were looking at several thousand dollars. There was no way through. That night was a low night for me. I cried out to the Lord almost all night saying, Lord, what are we going to do? You said if we came here, we wouldn't sink. This, by my definition, is sinking, Lord. Is this sinking according to you? There was no way through. We had no money. We had no place to go. The car was broken down. We were stuck and there was nobody to help us. There was no one we could turn to. All we could do is cry out to the Lord. Jan went to sleep. She was struggling with asthma. I wasn't sure she'd live through the night. 
And I was laying on the floor saying, Lord, do I pray for my wife so she'll live through the night? Or do I pray for the car? What do I pray for? And you know all I could hear from him? Praise me. Worship me. Praise me. I don't want to praise you, Lord. I'm weeping. Praise me. Worship me. That's all he would accept from me. Through the hours of that night, all Jesus would accept was my praise. He would accept no petition. Early hours of the morning, he said, now lay down and rest. And tomorrow morning, drive the car to Gaithersburg, Maryland, where we had a post office box. I said, Lord, the tags are expired. The police will arrest me. They'll put me in jail. Drive the car. Next morning, Jan awoke. She was bright. She was breathing better. And I said to her, we're supposed to drive to Gaithersburg to the post office box. She said, well, we've got to check out of the hotel first because we don't have the money for tonight. And we have to pay by 12 or we're out. I said, no, the Lord said, no, we're leaving everything in the hotel. We're going to stay here tonight. How? We have no money, Ray. God said we were going to stay here tonight. We drove to Gaithersburg. We opened the post office box. There was a check for $2,500 from a pastor outside of the city. There was another check from a missionary in India who said, I was hearing you two needed some money. This is for your personal use. There were a couple of other small checks. There was a $300 check from a brother saying, I just was told by the spirit to send this to you. When it all tallied up, we had over $3,000. God delivered us. God delivered us. We celebrated by going to a more expensive restaurant, ordering one meal and splitting it between us. So I reviewed this week all of the impossible things that I'm facing. And I said, Lord, do you see all these impossible things? He didn't answer. I said, Lord, I praise you for these impossible things. I thank you for these impossible things. Because I know with these impossible things, your victory's on the way. Now, I don't know when it's going to get here. And from what I've seen of you to this point, you usually always bring it late. So all I'm going to do is praise you. I'm going to praise your name. Because when I go back and review the history, you have been utterly faithful to me. You've been faithful to the National Prayer Chapel. You have never let us down. You have carried us with arms of love, always. I haven't always liked where you sent me. I didn't like being homeless for five years and living in a tiny little bedroom in somebody else's house. But I had food to eat and a roof over my head and a quiet place to pray. And that's all you wanted me to do. If I'd been anywhere else, I can tell you what I would have been doing. Some entrepreneurial deal. And God said, no. The Lord wants you broken out of that pattern of sin and deceit. That spider web of sin. He wants you broken out of that. He wants to set you free from that. Our stubbornness and our unrepentant heart will store up God's wrath against us for the day of judgment. And we will go down in defeat or we can go victory to victory. God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Verse 16. Now, here's the problem. If you take George Barna's research, it's very clear. Evangelical Christians spend their money the same way 
pagans spend their money. Evangelical Christians go to the same places for entertainment that pagans go for entertainment. That evangelical Christians divorce a little more often than the pagans. So in every area that has been examined statistically, they have found that there is no behavioral difference between those who call themselves Christians and those who are pagans. Now, Christians counter this by saying, you and I are just the same. The only difference is I'm forgiven. Now, do you see the problem? God is looking for a people who will walk out the discipline of God who will take step by step the highway of holiness, who will change the way they live their lives, change the way they spend their money, change the things that concern their hearts so that they are after the likeness of Jesus instead of after the likeness of the world. Now, this requires a careful examination of your life. What is it that you love? What do you have hidden under your bed? What are you lusting after in your heart? What ambitions are you giving way to? What fears control you? What passions bite you? If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it means you no longer will follow those ways of darkness. You will turn and you will follow Jesus Christ by his power, by his authority, at his call. So that when someone comes and speaks angrily to you, no anger rises up. When someone comes and does something to you that you would normally rise up against and defend yourself, there is no defense. You don't vindicate yourself. I spoke with a brother, and as soon as I began to speak, he began to give me a defense for his sin. And I cut him off right at the beginning, and I said, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can't even have this conversation if you're going to defend yourself. It's not about defending yourself. It's about humbling your heart before God and saying, oh, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and let your blood come and wash me and cleanse me and make me new. Are you going to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And what are you going to do with those hidden things under your bed? Are you going to dig them out and give them over to the hand of Jesus Christ? Are you going to keep them and go from victory to defeat? What have you been holding back from God? What have you been refusing to give him? And he's come to you many times and he said to you, don't do that. Come and follow me. Let that go. For some of you, it's going to mean as it did for Jan and myself, move the television out of the house. Give it to the neighbors. At one point, it meant for me that I had to strip out of my computers all of the Internet connections and get them totally out of the house so I wouldn't go to them. Now, I have the internet connection, but I don't lust for it anymore. So it's okay. If the Lord tells me to go look at the news, or he tells me to go communicate to somebody, I can do that, because it's no longer my God. But for some of you, it's a God. For some of you, your job is your God. Your car is your God. Your house is your God. What's it going to mean for you tonight to just come before the Lord and give to him those hidden things that you've been holding out on him and say, Lord, I want to walk from victory to victory to victory. I no longer want to walk in this defeat. I want to walk in victory. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. I do not want to die like Achan died with your wrath being poured out on my life. Lord, I want to walk in victory before you. I want to walk as a righteous man under your blood. 
washed and cleansed by your blood. Every power of Satan broken off my life. Lord, I want to walk under the anointing and power of your Holy Spirit in freedom. Lord, I don't care for money anymore. I don't have ambition anymore. Lord, you've taken those out of my heart. You've taken all taste for it out of my spirit. Lord, there are other things that I still want to hold on to. I want to hold on to my uncomfortableness. Lord, I I want to hold on to my struggle. Lord, each one of us have to look at those things and say, Oh, Lord, we give them to you. We give them to you. Lord, tonight I give to you all that you have asked me to give you. Lord, I have nothing hidden under my bed. My house is clean. I thank you, Jesus. I pray that this week, Jan and I will walk in victory to victory. And I pray that every person in this room will walk victory to victory. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. We're a house church located in Woodbridge, Virginia. Our mailing address is Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you.